so we are we're in a series called Counterfeit, and really, a lot of this is coming together. Let me just say this. If this is your first week or if you missed a couple of weeks, please go on the podcast and listen because this is building. Uh, you may not realize it, but it is building. There are things that are coming together in each message that kind of push us forward. So if you want to catch up with that, you can catch up with that on the podcast. If you need slides or notes or anything like that, please let me know because there's a lot going on. The first week we talked about what atheism was and how, you know, if you're stepping away from Christianity, you are stepping towards something. And what that is uh, may feel uncomfortable. It may feel unsettling, but just because because something is unsettling doesn't mean that it's true. And so, and then two weeks ago, we talked about, we talked about the fact that the gods that don't exist. We talked about uh, boyfriend God, which was the God that basically made you feel like he was always there. Like every time you prayed or whatever it may be, you had that tingle. Or the fact that we talked about bodyguard God, the God that doesn't exist, that it promises that nothing bad will ever happen to you. And we talked about all these gods that didn't exist. And then last week, uh, we talked about something very interesting. And it was one that I was afraid people were going to take the wrong way, but I didn't get any emails from executive team, so I'm happy. Uh, Pastor Craig did not stop me. Uh, we talked about last week how, and, and I said this at, at the front of it, I love the Bible. I absolutely love the Bible. Um, but but, but the belief that all we have to go on as a, as a Christian church in Christianity is the Bible is false. We actually have much more than that. And we talked about last week how about what Jesus did interrupted an empire. What Jesus did literally, it went from where the Christians were being killed for being Christians to the point where the Roman Empire had no choice but to make Christianity the state-sponsored religion. And we talked about how that grew and we have more to stand on just whether or not we're able to prove that Cain and Abel existed. And so we have a lot of things that we can do there. And so we talked about all those things. And today we're talking about, and I said this before, we're talking about what did Jesus say about God? Because two weeks ago, we, we kind of talked about who God wasn't. And then this week we're talking about who God is. But before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about what Jesus said, because what Jesus said was misinterpreted by his disciples constantly. In fact, what's funny is to watch the disciples, because the moment they think they understand Jesus, he says something and they go, wait, what? They're surprised by it because Jesus was bold in what he said, and he's telling them the truth. They just weren't expecting it. And one of the things that was one of the boldest things Jesus said that a lot of people would have taken the wrong way, and really if they had communication like they do now, it would get around much faster. But Jesus did this. He said, he said the Jewish, he told the Jewish people that their scripture was all about him. He said, look at your scripture, your Jewish scripture. Everything that it's talking about, the Messiah that's happening, it's all about me. He goes, I am the fulfillment of that, which is one of those things where they're going, wow, Jesus, that's bold. You're basically saying you're God, which is a hard thing to do unless you are God. But what happened was it started off as what bla like blasphemy. They're like, I can't believe he's saying that to, they start seeing all these miracles. They start seeing all these things that he's doing. And over time, they start to believe in who he was. And they start to believe and beliefs start to grow and his following starts to grow. Then all of a sudden one day Jesus is charged, Jesus is crucified. And the day after Jesus was crucified, no one was a Christian. The day after Jesus was crucified, no one believed they followed the right person. In fact, the disciples were hiding going, well, I guess we tried. He's not who he said he was. And for three days, no one believed Jesus was the Son of God. And for three days, no one was a Christian. But then he rose from the dead, and all of a sudden, it started. It all started. And they go back to the Old Testament scriptures, and they look in the Old Testament scriptures, and they see there's over 300 prophecies that say the way Jesus is going to be born, what he's going to do in his lifetime, the way he's going to die, down to where he's going to be buried. And they look back, and they go, oh, my goodness, this lines up. 
this lines up. And what's crazy about the Old Testament is when we look back at it, we see to the detail how amazing it was that Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. In fact, for homework, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look it up. I want you to read it. Um, not do it right now, not while I'm talking, um, but later on, I want you to read Isaiah 53 and ask yourself, who does this talk about? Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Jesus showed up. 700 years before he showed up, and it talked about the way that he lived. He talked about the, even the way that he was buried. And after he rose from the dead and all these things, it's crazy to see that so much so, what's so great about the Old Testament is you can have these conversations and go, guys, look, if you don't believe Jesus is who he says he was, look at the way they predicted what he would do. And so we see that there. In fact, it's crazy. I have a friend who had another friend that was Jewish, and they were in graduate school together. And this friend would always go, hey, you should come to uh, church with me. You should come to church with me. And the Jewish guy's like, I don't want to go to church with you. He's like, you should come to church with me. He's like, why would I go to church? I don't even go to my own church. And he's like, well, you should come to mine. You should come to mine. And finally, he goes, hey, would you just read something if I gave it to you? Would you just read something if I gave it to you? And the guy said, okay. So he actually brought him, he thought he was going to bring him a book, you know, apologetics or something like that, you know, reasons you should believe in Christ. All he did was he gave him a piece of paper. And he said, read this when you get home. And they were about to go on break. He goes home, he opens it up. And what it is, is the guy wrote out Isaiah 53. And he starts to read it and he goes, there's no way this is in the Hebrew scriptures. There's no way this is in the Jewish scriptures. He goes, the Christians had changed the scriptures to fit their narrative. So he goes home and he finds a, a, a copy of the Jewish scriptures and he looks it up and he goes, it's the same thing. And he's incredibly confused. So he goes to his temple and he talks to his rabbi. He goes, rabbi, I, I need you to explain to me something here. Isaiah 53, who is it talking about? And the rabbi just kind of chuckles and he goes, well, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? The guy's like, yeah. He goes, but we're Jewish and we don't believe Jesus is the son of God. He goes, yep, yeah, that's an observation. That's not an answer. That doesn't help me out here. But here's what's crazy. When you look at the Old Testament writings, you find out so much. And what we see is this, is that you have the Gentiles. Here's what the Gentiles are. There's the Jewish people and there's the Gentiles. The Gentiles are all the people that are not Jewish. The Gentiles are learning about Jesus. They're enamored with Jesus. So much so, they're like, we want to know about Jesus' past as much as possible. So they start reading the Old Testament. Not because they wanted to become Jewish, but because they wanted to know as much about Jesus as possible. And so what happened was this, and this is crazy. They, they get to a point where they go, okay, we're going to take all the New Testament writings, we're going to take the Old Testament writings, and we're going to put them together, which was incredibly offensive to Jewish people. And then they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call the Old Testament the Old Covenant, which was new. Like the Jewish people are like, no, this is still good. And like, no, we're going to call it the Old Covenant, which was very offensive. And then we're going to call this the New Covenant, and they put it together. And you're sitting there, you're like, why did they put it together? Because when they read through the Old Testament, they realized it pointed to not only the need for Jesus, but it pointed to Jesus. And so when we look at what the importance of the Old Testament is, we go by what Jesus said. And Jesus said the Old Testament was important. And I, I said this last week, when anyone can predict their death and their resurrection, I pretty much do whatever they say. Like, you can predict your death, but the resurrection is a tough one to do. And so Jesus did that. He said, we need to pay attention to the Jewish scriptures. But let me say this. For all of you in here that have tried reading the Bible, I've talked about this before. You, you've tried reading the Bible. You've tried getting into the Bible. And what do we normally do when we start to read the Bible? We start in Genesis. 
because it's the beginning, right? That's where we should start. And we start with the way the earth was created. That sounds good. Then all of a sudden we get into 600 and some odd laws. And you start reading through it and you're like, this is not fun. Some of you make it to Exodus. Some of you that are really all about like, I'm going to keep going. You make it to Leviticus and you drop off. You drop off because you read it and you're going, what is this about? Let me say this. Let me say this. When it comes to being a Christian and what we should read, I think we start with the New Testament. We start with the New Testament. I think what we should do is learn as much about Jesus as possible. Then we can go back to the Old Testament and see how it pointed to him. And here's why. Because the Old Testament is all about laws. It's about laws. It's, a, it's showing us that if we were having an actual religion where it was all about works, we couldn't make it. Basically, the Jewish people were like, God's like, if you follow these laws, if you do these things, I will prosper you. So they will prosper. And they were doing okay. Then all of a sudden, they would fall off. And God's like, all right, well, back into slavery, back into these ways, because it's not possible. But what we do is when we look at the New Testament, when we see Jesus and what he did, we realize something that's very, very important. There was nothing religious about first century followers of Christ. Here's, here's what I mean. They didn't have to have faith on top of faith. They didn't have to have faith in something they didn't see. First century followers believed in Jesus because they saw something. They saw Jesus and they believed in who he was. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at Jesus's words because we saw that we could trust what he said about himself. So we're gonna look at what he says about God. In fact, when we look at Jesus, he says, I want you to pay attention to what I say and what I do because that's your best version of who God was. And where we're going to look is in the book of John. John was a disciple of Jesus. John was a follower of Jesus. John was the youngest of the disciples. And he was one that saw who Jesus was. And after Jesus died and rose again, he saw the carnage that happened. He saw his best friends die for his faith. He saw people do incredible things in order for other people to know about God. But he also saw chaos. And so when he writes these things, you got to understand, this is not someone that just saw the greatest things in this world and decided this is who Jesus was. This is someone who walked next to Jesus and told us what he said. So in John 14, 7 to 8, that's where we're going to start. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you had really known me, you would know my father. You know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is literally saying right there, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Philip goes, okay, that's nice, Jesus. But please just let us see a glimpse of God. I mean, you talk about him all the time like you really know him. Can we just see a glimpse? Can you just show us a toe? Like, just, just show us something. Like, I feel like right now they're treating Jesus like that one middle schooler you had that said they knew somebody famous, but you never saw that famous person. You're like, come on, just, oh, no, my sister's dating this guy who's blah, 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 that's the drummer for whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, sure, let's see him. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll show him up. And then he never shows up. I think this is what Philip's doing. He's like, Jesus, you say you know God. We, show us something there. Show us who he is. And then Jesus replied, says, have I, not, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Which Philip is sitting there going, wait, did I miss something? Yeah, what I said before. It says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Do you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me. You got to understand when the disciples are hearing this, he says, have I not been with you, yet you still don't know him. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is going, I am God. This is the moment where the disciples are going, Jesus, that's a little far. 
Like, you know that point, like when somebody says something and you're like, oh, that's, that's a little bit like when somebody compares themselves to Jesus and calls himself Jesus, and you're like, ah, it's a little far, Kanye. Like, the... <laughs> like I know you're crazy, but <laughs> why are you making a worship album? Like, you know, and so it, this is what they're doing. They're like, hey, Jesus, that, that's cool, but come on, man. Like, we were following you, but say you're God, like, that's, that's a little bit much, but this is what he's saying. He goes, you want to know what God says. Listen to me. You want to know who God is. Watch me. So our best version of God, what we can understand the most about God is when we listen to what Jesus says and we watch what he did. Now here's what's great in what he did in the next verse. This helps us so much. He says, just believe that I'm the father and the father is in me. But then he goes further. He says, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. What did Jesus do? He didn't tell his disciples, just believe. He said, look, if you can't believe, look at what I'm doing. Look at the way that I do it. Look at the miracles that happen and believe those things. He's like, don't just have belief and belief. Watch what I do and draw conclusions. And that's what John is doing here. So when we look at what Jesus says about God, we've got to get rid of the misconceptions of who we think God is, the idea that God is all the things that we heard in our childhood. What is God? If we take it all away, who does Jesus say God is? And the first thing we see Jesus saying about God is this, that God is spirit. God is spirit. We, We see this when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. You know what's interesting? We don't know the name of the woman at the well. She's probably up in heaven going, it's Judy, it's Judy. Come on, nobody could write that down? Like, but anyway, <laughs> Jesus is with the woman at the well. And this is, this is a big deal. This, this woman is a Samaritan woman. First off, men didn't just directly talk to women at that time. They definitely, Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women. So just a side note, just to let you guys know, Jesus was the first religious leader to say that women were on equal grounds with men. I don't know if you guys, yeah, woo, yeah. Um, you're the first one. And actually, here's what I believe. If people actually just followed Jesus' words, we'd be in a different place now. But then you have weak men saying all kinds of stuff. But anyway, anyway, Jesus is talking to this woman. Here's what's funny. She's arguing with Jesus about God. Like that's, you're going to lose. Like there's no way. You can't argue with Jesus about God. But she's arguing with Jesus about God. She's saying all these things. And basically, God goes, uh, Jesus goes, this is what I want you to understand. In John 4, 24, he says, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, this made sense, though, already for the Jewish believers. This did because Jewish believers weren't allowed to do something every other type of religion did. They were not allowed to make an idol to God because God was spirit. God had not been seen. God was not allowed to have an idol. And this was a big deal for Jewish worshipers because they're looking around and they see all their friends have idols. And they're like, I want idols. In fact, Moses literally goes up on the mountain. By the time he's down, everybody had an idol. They had a big calf made out of gold. Like all these things are like, we want idols. But God said, no. Jesus said, no, God is spirit, which makes sense because it says there is no image of him. And this is what we should expect of God. Because if we believe this, if you look at creation, even if you look at science, where they say there's a singular moment, right? There's a singular moment where all matter, all time, all laws of nature, all space was made. So for that to happen, there has to be an uncreated creator. There has to be an immaterial creator, something that's not material, something that's timeless, something that's above the laws of nature. 
So when Jesus says God is spirit, it makes sense or it should make sense to us because for God to be spirit, that makes sense that he is able to be above and supernatural, above everything else in order to create all of us. But here's the problem. When Jesus said God is spirit, that's, that's a tough one, right? Like God, so God's spirit. So what do you do with spirit, right? It, it, it seems very like, I, how do I connect with spirit? How do I get near spirit? So Jesus is like, okay, I tell you God is spirit. I'm going to go to the other end. I'm going to help you understand how you connect with a spirit God. And he said this. He said, God is Father. God is Father. I love this. This is what Luca Giglio says. He says, not the reflection of our earthly fathers, the perfection of Father. Which is so important because even if you had a good dad, all of our fathers had faults. It's the perfection of Father, it's what is possible when someone loves you that much. And we see this, see the disciples one day were, were sitting there and Jesus was praying and they were supposed to pray. And I'm sure that this is what happened. This happens to me sometimes. You ever been in a situation where somebody prays and you're like, you're better. Like, I, I'm like, here's my, here's my prayer request. Can you pray for those too? Because you, you sound like you talk to God a lot more than I do. Well, Jesus was praying and the disciples are looking over and they're like, he's good at that. So they go over, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Can you show us how to do this? And it's a verse that we've heard, but it's a Luke 11 too. It says, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. He starts off with father, father. Now, let me say this. God is not male. Okay. God is not female. And if some of you are like, yeah, oh, God is spirit. But Jesus is saying this, he goes, the best way I can explain to you, God, the best way I can help your finite minds understand how to relate with who God is, the best way I can make him personal is to say, when you start off praying, start with Father. Start with Father. And I, I think the reason he did this and the reason God gives us is he wants us to understand, yes, he is God but he's someone that we can come to with anything. You guys have heard me talk about this before. It's weird being called pastor for me. Like, it's one of those things like people call you, I'm called Pastor Hal and all that kind of stuff, but then when I see people out in public, they're like, hey, Pastor Hal, and I'm like, or Hal, that's fine. That's fine. Like, <laughs> it's all right. It's that weird thing, and one of the reasons that's tough with the pastor side of things is when people know you're a pastor, they feel like some people do. Some people think you're, you're crap, but some people think you're above. <laughs> You're above and like, I can't go to you and I can't talk to you about these things. And here's the truth as a pastor, I want the words that I say and the advice and the, and the knowledge to carry some weight. But I want everyone in here to feel like at any moment they can come and talk to me about anything. So I think it's the same way with God. God's like, I have all this power. What I say matters. And yes, I am all powerful and all knowing. But at the same time, I don't want you to look at me and think I can't talk to you. I don't want you to look at me and think that I can't be honest with you. I don't want you to look at me and think I can't understand what you're going, for, going through or be afraid to talk to me. He said, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to call me Father. And here's, here's what I want you guys to do tonight. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Tonight when you're laying in bed, just try this. Just try this. If you have trouble praying, which I would think a lot of us do, just start off Father. Say it out loud. Call him Father. And see, see the way that changes the tone of your prayer. And it'll be weird for some of you have roommates. You're like, you're talking to me? No, no. 
That would be weird. Just start off with Father, why? Why Father? Because it's that personal, loving idea of who God is. It's who God is. See, later in John, he actually, he sums up. He, it's, it's one of these things where he's seen Jesus' entire life. He's seen everything that he's done. He's seen everything that's going on, and he decides this is what God is. And what's crazy is he sees who Jesus was and what he did, but then he sees the violence that happens. And we talked about this last week. While Nero was emperor, Christians were thrown into the Colosseum. They were eaten by lions. While Nero was emperor, he would light them on fire at his garden parties in order to bring light to the garden party. Like when it was a crazy time. So John is seeing this. John is seeing the temple being burned down. And he looks at that and he says something about God that is a statement that's been imprinted on our culture. In fact, many of us, we don't know where this is where it comes from, but it's a statement that hadn't happened yet. And here's what John says. John says, God is love. God is love. See, this is different from the traditional Jewish point of view. See, John was Jewish. Here's what Jewish people believe. God loves Jewish people and pretty much tolerates everyone else. John's like, John believed the Jewish people were set above, but after meeting Jesus, after meeting Jesus, seeing the way he loved and cared for others, and seeing the way Christianity grow, after, seeing, after losing friends and losing people, God, John looks at all of it and goes, the best word I can use for God is love. And 1 John 4, 16 says, it says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. It says God is love. See, this is why, this is why when Jesus was about to die, he brings all of his disciples together and he goes, hey guys, I know I've said a lot of stuff and many of you probably weren't paying attention, but this is what I want you to get. Okay, I want you to understand this. The way people will know, the way people will see you, the way people will know that you're one of my followers is that you love one another. And we've heard this, but why, why does he say that? Because loving one another is the reflection of who God is. It's when we love others, when we love one another, that we actually show the world who God is and what his character is. He goes, it's not about your church attendance. It's not about, you know, how much you give. It's not about, you know, all these other things. It's not about how many verses you memorize. The way the world will know that you're my follower is the way you love others. See, this makes sense. This makes sense because of this. Shade requires the sun, right? You're like, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't know what it is because I didn't explain it yet. Um, shade requires the sun. Here's what I mean. You can have sun without shade, right? but you can't have shade without the sun. In the same way, evil requires good. In the same way, goodness must necessarily pre-exist evil, which means this, love must necessarily pre-exist unlove. See, John, who had seen extraordinary violence, extraordinary violence, people killed on a regular basis, came to the conclusion that God is love. This means God can't be evil. Just as good preceded evil, so did unlove precede love. Uh, so did love precede unlove. The reason we recognize evil and injustice is because we know there is something that's good. See, every time we appeal to love, every time we appeal to ought or right or justice, without knowing it, we are appealing and declaring the existence of God. 
See, when a person seeks the shade, they're declaring the existence of the sun. When we seek good, we are declaring the existence of God. See, here's what's crazy to me is you hear people say this all the time. Many people that leave the church, many people that don't want to be involved in the church, all these things. Here's what you hear many times. They're like, I don't want to go that whole church thing. I don't want to be in that whole Christianity thing. I just believe God's love. I just believe God loves everybody. I believe he's loved. Without realizing, without realizing, that is a Christian narrative, an only Christian narrative. In fact, up to this point, no one believed gods were love. The Roman and Greek gods, the God, the sun god, all these things up to that point, none of them were love. There were a lot of things. Most of the time they were very vindictive, but no one believed God was love. It wasn't until the Christian God came around and John is looking at these things and he said, God is love, which is something important as we head into next week's topic, which is this. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Let me, let me give you a way of thinking about it before we get into next week. Why do you know there's evil in the world? Why do we recognize the brokenness in this world and even in ourselves? How do we know what we ought to do, right? How do we know what's right? Forget about what I say or what God says. How do you know what's right? And even though you know what's right, why don't you do it? Right? Why is it that there's times where we feel guilty? Why is it that there are times where when we're going away from God, we seek other people that are going away from God in the same area so we feel comfortable? Why is it that we know there's something more? And then at the end of it, here's what we do. We say this, well, you know, nobody's perfect. How do we know what perfect is? How do we know? Because perfect love preceded us. Perfect love preceded us. So guys, this is what we're talking about next week. And let me just say this. I, please do not miss next week because we're, we're talking about, I think, is the biggest objection to Christianity. And it's the idea of evil in this world. Bad things happening to good people. And what I want to do next week is I want to frame it in a way for this generation. Because I think many times we've, we've answered this question so many times in church, but I think the way our generation is going at it is a different way. And I want to frame that idea next week. So it's going to be a lot, okay? It's going to be a lot, but I don't want you to miss it because I want you to be able to understand who God is, who his character is, and come back to the same conclusion that we know is that God is love. But here's what I want you guys to do, and this is different. I do have a homework assignment for you, okay? I already mentioned one. Read Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53. Second one is pray using the name Father. So later on tonight, this is what you do. You look around, make sure nobody's paying attention. You just say, Father. You know, just say Father. And start off your prayer like that and see what that does. And here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to read the book of John. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, it's an entire book. It's 18 pages. Settle down. It's 25 and bigger font. Font my dad reads in maybe 40. But... <laughs> like 18 pages. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read through it and ask this question. What I learn about the father from the son? What do I learn about God from Jesus? And I want you to read through that and understand that. We're not going to check it as you come in next week. I'm not going to ask you a question. But I do. I want you to do those three things before next week because next week we are going into a heavy topic a heavy topic where we're going to be very honest and talk about these things. I'm hoping this. I'm hoping as we talk through this topic, you will understand things that you didn't understand before, and you'll see God's character like you haven't seen it before. So you guys, when we look at who Jesus said God was, we, we see what? He's spirit, because he's above all. He's father, which means I can go to him. And he is love, 
which means I can trust him. This is important to remember as we go throughout this. Let me pray. God, thank you uh, for who you are. God, thank you that uh, you love us this much. Um, God, I pray this week that uh, we would learn as much as we can about you. God, I pray that we would uh, pay attention to your words and the way that your son Jesus talked about you. God, I pray this week that um, we would spend some time in prayer. God, I know for many of us this is a tough task because the last time we prayed was a long time ago. And maybe you didn't come through in the way that we wanted. And so we don't know what to do or we feel like you feel distant. God, I pray that this week we'll connect connect with you. God, I pray that we will use the word Father and know that you are there, that you are a loving and perfect Father. Not who our dads were, but something much, much better. God, I pray next week that we come in ready to hear and understand just more of your character, who you are, and the plan you have for this world. God, I thank you for that, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.